I'm Colleen, and this podcast is an inside look at recovery, which I define as a lifelong journey to get out of your own way and become your own best friend. Join me for mindset upgrades that move you from worry and regret to resilience and confidence. I'll share easy strategies for how to feel better without having to make major changes. Because it's not what you do, it's who you are. Self-care is the path to recovery because our needs are not negotiable. Today I'm interviewing Anna Weisberger, who is a breakup coach living in Serbia who helps people find themselves so they can heal their dating patterns, whether they decide to leave, stay, or pursue a new relationship. Anna moved to New York City to achieve the American dream, and she did by all external measures. She had a high paying job as a real estate agent. She was married and had lots of friends and lots of success but she still felt empty and disconnected. So she quit her job, divorced her husband, and moved home to embark on a new career as a life coach. And yet, wherever you go, there you are. She still found herself struggling with motivation and self-defeating coping skills. She realized that she needed to stop trying to change the outside world and look inside. And she went on a two-week meditation retreat and in the silence realized that her life was filled with noise and chaos of things she did not love. And she found the answer to be self-compassion and kindness, which is women, that's the last thing we go to. We try to shame and push and motivate ourselves with fear. But when Anna stopped measuring success by how her life looked on the outside, and started focusing on how life feels for her, self-care became her top priority. She started looking to honor herself instead of pleasing others, and that eventually included her giving up all substances, including cigarettes and alcohol and unhealthy food. But she found the process of eliminating the things that were hurting her to be joyful. And now, instead of feeling left out in a crowd of drinkers, she feels lucky. Anna and I connected on so many levels, despite the fact that our lives look so different. I'm excited to share this interview with you. So enjoy. Let's just start with like who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name is Anna Weisberger and my business is called Talk with Anna. I am a certified life coach and the area that I focus on is relationships, breakups, divorce, really how to best get back on your feet after you have gone through something heartbreaking. And I started doing this. I started, I was serving women only to start with. And I started doing this when I was going through a divorce or rather after I got divorced, because I really felt the need to, to show up for women the same way other women have shown up for me during my divorce. But lately I've had um, men who also wanted to be coached. So I currently have two male clients in addition to my female cohort, which is the most men I've ever had as clients. So I always thought that it would be easier to work with women, but I'm finding it really easy to connect with men as well. Yeah. So being in the coaching world myself, I know that there are coaches who specialize in helping you find a partner. It sounds like your specialty is helping you find yourself. 
Would that be more accurate? <laughs> yes, that would actually be more accurate. I'm helping you find yourself and whether that means you staying in your current relationship or ending it or finding something new or actually looking for something different. So it's really getting in touch with yourself and, and what you truly vibe with. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about your backstory and how you came to find yourself doing this work? Um, sure. So I'll do the short version. I'm originally from Serbia uh, in Eastern Europe, which is where I currently am. And I moved to the United States um, in 2005. I did that in, in the search for my American dream. And I found my American dream in doing real estate in New York City. And then once I got really successful at it, I actually started looking deep down into myself and asking myself what I wanted because I didn't find happiness. I was looking for the American dream to be happy. And then once I achieved it, which to me meant a certain amount of money in the bank, making a certain amount of money in the year, having American citizenship, feeling respected in my field and um, being in a, in a partnership and relationship, I was married. I just found that I you know, couldn't wake up in the morning. I didn't want to get out of bed and I didn't like this life that I was building. So I started going to different kind of women's groups and therapy sessions and really all sorts of what, whatever you can imagine. I probably did it from family constellations to, to group coaching sessions to really anything you can imagine where I was really looking for myself. I was searching to see why I was building this life for so long and then I didn't love it. And where was I not being honest with myself? And I found it wasn't pretty, but there was a mirror that was held up to me. And in that mirror, I saw that the life that I lived wasn't really what I wanted. It, it was I was making the money that I wanted to. And, and I was married because I wanted to be in a relationship. But that marriage wasn't what I wanted. And that career wasn't what I wanted. And so it was natural that I wasn't happy in it. But it took a lot of work on myself and courage to break free from it and you know i was raised in such a way i raised myself in such a way that that i didn't want to disappoint anybody so i was struggling with guilt around leaving this life that i was working so hard to build about you know hurting other people in the process and then i eventually did it and so so once i broke through um i found so much joy in in working on myself, in, in learning my patterns. It was so surprising, some of it. And it was so beautiful to see myself emerge. I've, I've heard this person explain it once as if, you know, when David was carving Michelangelo, they asked him, uh, you know, how did you come up with this figure? And he said, well, I just carved out the stone. Michelangelo was already in there. So I feel like I've carved out the version of myself that was always already there. And I just... I'm living it now for the first time in this past five years or so. And so this is why I decided to become a coach and to help people to do the same. And I do feel that when a relationship is ending, when we're getting divorced, when something is dying in our life, that is really a fertile ground for us to look inwards and to decide that, you know what, this it hurts now, but I'm going to make sure to help myself and not have it hurt this way again. What values or inner guidance were you not paying attention to that you found to be 
what was missing? When you looked inside, what is it that you saw that was not in alignment with the life that you live? Because obviously, you know, making a lot of money and being married and living in New York, a lot of people would subscribe to that and say that that's a success. What truth did you have inside you that somehow didn't align with the external world? Where were you being disingenuous to yourself? So I was being disingenuous to myself because I was, you know, you said that this life looked fantastic on paper and it, and it, and it did. So that's where I wasn't being honest with myself. I, when I was creating my life, you know, I was always big on um, vision boards and creating things and, 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 you know, seeing them in my mind before I saw them for real. And what I had created in my mind was very uh, materialistic. So yes, I, I do want to have a lot of money. It's not really about that. But I felt like I was selling myself for a dollar, if that makes sense. I felt like I wasn't really doing a service to my clients either, because however good I was at it, you know, I would come home and I would eat half the fridge mm -hmm. and, you know, or I would just drink a whole bottle of wine or we would sit in front of the TV and get high me and my husband, just because I didn't want to look at that part that was, you know, what was gnawing inside of me, that this is my life and I'm spending it like this. So I grew up in Serbia. I didn't have much money. We were um, not because my family was poor and it's that the country was poor. We went through civil war and a lot of stuff. And so, you know, when I went out there to build my American dream, I, I wanted to make the money. So I did. And I bought my parents an apartment for that. But once it stopped being about survival and making my life, you know, higher quality, I was having a high quality life. It just became about a dollar piling up onto another. And when that was happening, I, I didn't find happiness in my heart to do the kind of work that I was doing. I, you know, I also, I don't have any children. I'm, I never wanted kids and, and I'm probably never going to have them. But that leaves me feeling like I need to leave a mark on this world in a different way. You know, people who have children probably feel or a lot of my friends who have kids feel like, 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 that's what they're investing into. I wanted to invest into a career that's going to make a difference for other people. And so in that sense, I wasn't I wasn't honest with myself. I was I was hiding from my feelings. I would never admit to my husband what was wrong, what I didn't like about our marriage. I was just shoving food and drinks and and stuff to numb all that. What's interesting is that I had the opposite life in that I was a mother of four children and devoted myself to being a mom and doing all the things. And my first husband and I achieved financial success and we were just checking all the boxes. And so even though I would look at my life and say, I'm doing exactly what I set out to do. I too was drinking a bottle of wine every night and numbing, and it's a disconnect from ourselves. So I experienced the same symptoms as you did. And yet ultimately the problem was the disconnect in how I felt about myself. How did you recognize those symptoms as a sign? that you should pay attention to, as opposed to what most of us do on the surface and think, well, I just need to drink less and I need to buy less junk food and I need to do a whole 30. How did you recognize those things as symptoms of a spiritual 
disconnect versus weakness, a lack of willpower, a lack of discipline. And what kept you from just searching for the right diet or searching for a new habit that would fix it? How did you know to go deeper? Mm, great question. Well, first I did all those things. You know, I, uh, I would change the way I eat. I would, you know, get a personal trainer. I would, I would try to give up a habit, but what was really telling was that none of this would stick. This is how you know that you're actually changing. If something sticks, it means that you have incorporated into your life and that you have understood how you're actually doing good for yourself. So for example, these days I meditate daily. I work out three to four, five to five times a week. Um, I don't eat sugar. I do not drink. I'm completely sober. I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't do any of those things. And so for me, it's a joy to do these things now. None of it feels like it's something that I'm taking away from myself. The one thing that made the massive difference in the ones that I started with was just because I would try anything out there just to feel better. Um, I, I, I tried to do in this uh, meditation retreat. It's called Vipassana. Um, it's a 10 day silent retreat where, you know, my then husband drove me off into the woods of New Jersey and, you know, I had to surrender my phone and my keys and my wallet and my everything. And then he drove off with all of them in his car, in our car. And I stayed there to sit and meditate in silence. This was life-changing for me. And what I realized was that I'm living in so much noise in my life figuratively and literally, we lived on 34th Street and 10th Avenue in Manhattan, right by the uh, um, right by the, by the Lincoln Tunnel. It was so noisy all the time. And there was so much other noise in my life that when, when I got back from this retreat, I walked into our apartment and I was just blown away by, by the noise that I didn't even hear until then. What they teach you in meditation is that, to notice the noise, to notice... Uh, what's happening around you and to slowly start focusing on yourself and how you react to what's happening to you on the outside. And when I focused on me and all that noise, I noticed how anxious I was. Um, and then I started seeing all the other noise that was in there as well, the work that I didn't love, the relationship that I didn't love. So so I took, um, I took it upon myself to make it better. And then what marked the following few years is me like really trying to make us better as a couple, um, go to therapy as a couple, but really, you know, looking back now, not that I regret anything, but, but it was already clear that, that we weren't going to work out. And, and, and I don't think it was fair. I think, you know, we both did the best we could. And, and I, I don't think that those last couple of years, I think they were really hard on, on my ex because he tried to fulfill my, well, if only you did this, then we would, and he would really try and and that didn't work. But that was the beginning, really, of me starting to hear myself, the Vipassana meditation retreat and my then daily meditation habit that emerged from it. What echoes for me in your story is that there comes a time when you can make the choice to start living from the inside. Like my whole life, I've been so worried about how things look and what other people think. And that was the disconnect for me that I wasn't paying attention to how I was experiencing it. And so the anxiety that you speak of, I too suffered with. 
And that's why I reached for the food or the wine. It wasn't the external circumstances of my life, because for me, my life doesn't really look any different. <laughs> um, but what what the shift required, the recovery for me, was moving my center of focus and shifting my attention really onto my body, which which sounds so counterintuitive as a woman who's struggled with eating disorders and body image her whole life. I thought I was paying attention to my body, but I was paying attention to how my body looked and what other people thought about how my body looked and if I met certain standards. And so maybe talk to me a little bit, if that resonates, what it feels like to shift your, your awareness from how things look on the outside to how things feel from the inside. Yeah, that's something that I think we all struggle with. And, you know, we, I still do to a certain extent, you know, so for example, there are months when I am happier with the way my body looks, and there are months when I'm less happy with it. But the difference is this, say I gained, I gained a little weight the last month. So I'm not going to go on some crazy diet and be super strict on myself and start working out more. Instead, I'm going to sit and, and look at what's been happening. Have I been moving less? Have I just been, you know, why have I been eating more? I notice that I eat more and then I let myself eat more. And then I just consider that as, as time is moving on. And then I realize that, you know, it's a winter month. So instead of upping my workouts, I'm actually, I actually give myself a week off. You know what? It sounds like it's been hard for you to work out. Why don't you just stretch this week and let's see how that goes instead. That's a much more humane, healthy kind approach towards yourself than, than the other kind. My first question, if I was listening to this, I would want to know, does that work? And my follow-up question is, let's define what it means to have something work. My first as a woman response would be, well, did you lose the weight? Did that work? But I guess the true question is, how do you define something being successful? How do you judge it? And is being kind to yourself ultimately the approach that moves you forward? Does it work? So to answer your first question, I don't actually know if I lost any weight. The apartment where I'm currently staying doesn't have a scale. So I've, I've no idea. And so the other question, how do I know if it works? So I know whether it works because I look at how my life looks, like how my life feels day to day. You know, do I wake up in the morning feeling bloated and like a failure? Or do I wake up in the morning feeling you know, not necessarily excited that it's a new day, oftentimes excited, sometimes not, sometimes tired, but like, how do I, do I wake up being harsh on myself or do I wake up being kind to myself? And obviously, right. Like there's, there's, you know, am I being kind to myself and gaining 200 pounds? You know, that's a whole different story, but you know, what I'm talking about is like a two pound difference here and there. It really isn't that big. I'm still, you know, mostly eating the way I was. I'm still mostly working out the way I was. There's like a scale within which, like I said, like last, last week, I didn't work out that much, but I still worked out five times a week. How do you know if something worked? I guess you look at it from like the measurable results, right? And, and I don't measure results anymore by, by the actual result. I measure by the action that I took to, to, to get there. 
the action is not, you know, do five workouts from which your whole body will hurt, but spend, you know, five workouts on your body feeling what feels good right now and do that. Like, don't give up on the time working out, but give up on the idea that it needs to look a certain way. Yeah. So ultimately the goal might be worded as my goal is to be my best friend, my own best friend. And a side effect of that is that I self-correct with my workouts or my eating, and I just do something that feels kind to me. And ultimately what you find, and I as well, is that kindness has a side effect of your body resetting to its ideal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And touching upon what you said earlier, you being in tune with your body and hearing what it needs, right? Because just because I would, you know, deem before that I've gained weight and I need to work out more. Instead, I tune into my body and I almost ask her what she needs and she needed to rest. Yeah. I find the same. It's amazing when you stop chasing those external carrots and your motivation truly is to do right by yourself, how that goes into so many aspects of your life. For me, the biggest misunderstanding was that self-care was a to-do list and I needed to have my makeup done and my butt needed to be a certain size and everything needed to look good. But I have found self-care to be so much more. How has your self-care changed from the way you lived your life before to the way you are now? You know, it's so interesting because I'm adding things onto my self-care every once in a while. You know, it started with the meditation practice. You know, I started that because it made such a difference for me that one week when I was meditating, that coming back to normal life and not meditating almost felt as if I was in, in a rehab, you know, and then I came back and I started drinking again. So, 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 so I was not gonna not meditate again. So that was the first one. And then, like I said, I added on gradually to it. And now it looks like, you know, writing daily and, and working out and a couple other things, but also it includes like removing things from my life. So I've removed cigarettes. I have most recently this summer stopped drinking and using all substances. And I, I've, I've altered the way I eat and the way that, you know, 80% of the time I don't eat sugar and dairy and wheat. And then the other 20%, I do whatever I want to do. You know, I also used to think that self-care was like filling up your bathtub, taking an afternoon off, treating yourself to, I don't know, some a, a massage, an expensive thing that maybe you wouldn't do otherwise, buying yourself a nice piece of clothing. And it is all those things. But what real true self-care is, it's actually being disciplined enough to do the thing that's right for you. And it might not always look very pleasurable. It, you know, self-care is sometimes doing your taxes on time. Self-care is blocking that person who you, your heart maybe still aches to be with, but you understand that they're not treating you right. That's self-care, you know, doing the hard thing and then slowly training yourself to build this muscle so that it becomes less hard over time. I help people see where in their past they have started making decisions that weren't honoring them. Because we all had a period in our past when we did something to not honor ourselves, but instead to please maybe a caregiver or a teacher in school or a friend or somebody that we fell in love with. And then those things that we did became a bit of a pattern for us. 
And we slowly were starting to self-abandon in the process. So I help people locate this time, this, this moment in time when it happened. And I help them see it and become aware of what they were actually doing. And then we shift the story into a more empowering one where they actually start developing self-love. It is not an overnight process by any means. Whoever works with me, I recommend that they work with me for at least three to four months um, or longer if they can. Um, but it is so worth it, Colleen, really. Like, like whatever you end up doing, three months will pass, five years will pass. And you know what will determine the quality of your life in the future is, have you actually taken the time to, to get to know yourself? And are, are you hearing yourself what you need? And are you giving that to yourself? I firmly believe that that's the one single quality, um, the one single thing that will make the quality of your life better. So in our culture, often alcohol is associated with self-care. And you mentioned that recently you've decided to cut alcohol. How did you know that alcohol was no longer, if it ever was, serving as a form of self-care? How did you know that that was something that you needed to give up? And then how has your life changed because you stayed true to yourself and followed that instinct? I think we all know what's good for us and what isn't good for us. And personally, even before I wanted to look at it, because like you said, alcohol is so common in our culture. It is so okay. You're upset, have a glass of wine. You're celebrating, have a glass of wine. You know, there's something happening in your life. Why not go get drunk with friends? And it's just so everywhere in the movies, just everywhere around us. But you know, the older I got, the harder... It was to recover from hangovers. You know, I would wake up like feeling all groggy and just really not being myself. And I'm building a business. I left real estate, what, maybe four years ago and started doing this about two, two and something years ago. And I know I'm not my best self. I have to be my own boss. And I was noticing that I was doing the bare minimum. Like like all of, my, all of my marketing would just like fall to the side. Like I would look at all the sessions I have and then I would tend to them. But then as far as, you know, like doing things to forward my business, I just wasn't, I didn't have the capacity for that. And at, at the same time, it stopped being fun to drink. Like I, it was, it was becoming so easy to get that one drink too many where I would start slurring words or would like stop remembering what's happening or, you know, I would need help to get home. And it was embarrassing, honestly, it wasn't, that's not what I wanted for myself. So I knew that that wasn't serving me. I really did. And I was turning, you know, it was my birthday and, and I became 42 and 42 has always been like this magical number for me where I thought that just, that's going to be like some kind of highlight, but I was sitting there on my 42nd birthday and I haven't been feeling the best I've, you know, the past several months I've been struggling with discipline. I've been struggling with clarity, with, with what I wanted to do. This, this, do I want to stay in this? If I do want to stay in this, which I thought I did, then why am I not doing my absolute best at this? You know, everything I ever did before, I was always stellar at it. I was taking care of kids when I first moved to the United States. And I, I you know, I, I didn't love kids, but I was a great nanny. And then, you know, I became a real estate agent and 
I didn't care so much about the apartments. I just wanted to make the money. And I was an amazing real estate agent getting awards and, you know, making six figures a year, like out of nowhere. And, 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 and so I thought, well, if this is what I always wanted to do, like, you know, be there for people, help them see the bigger picture for themselves, help them create better lives for themselves, then why am I all of a sudden not doing the thing that I always would do before? And I thought, well, how about I tried cutting out everything and see what that would look like? And that's how I stopped drinking and everything else. Maybe walk me through what it was like when you first started cutting everything out and then why you've made the decision to continue because we've all done elimination diets and you feel better and you hit the reset and then you often go back to things that maybe aren't good for you but are more neutral what did it feel like to give everything up in the beginning and why have you stuck with specifically alcohol and other substances that we might call recreational drugs that sort of thing um, so it was, it was honestly, it was quite easy from the beginning. It wasn't that big of a deal. You know, there were times when I would go out with my friends and, you know, we would sit at a table and everybody would have a drink and, you know, some of my friends drink more, some drink less, but everybody drinks. I don't know anybody, barely anybody really in my life that doesn't drink. So it was really weird in the beginning. Like I remember we went to this friend's birthday, um, at this like restaurant and you know I, I was the first one to arrive and the bartender and it's here in Serbia and that's like a like like if you think there's a drinking culture around the world in Serbia it's that times 10. So you know if you're if you're if you say no to a drink like are you sick? Like why why not? You know you don't want like a little shorty why not? <laughs> and and so the waiter came up to me and he's like can I get you anything while you're waiting? And I said sure I'll have the, a bottle of you know uh, still water. And he's like uh-huh. And one short drink too. Right. And I'm like, yeah, no, just, uh, he's like, really? I'm like, yeah, really? He's like, okay. Kind of like suit yourself. And then you turn around and he's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so, so that was a little weird. And then when all of my friends arrived and they had their drinks, it just, you know, we would all cheer. It felt really awkward to just have my glass of wine, but then as the, uh, my glass of water, see, <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then as the night would progress, I would just start noticing how happy I am to still be sober. I was enjoying all the stories that were being told. I was laughing about it. I, I had driven my own car there, so I knew I could drive myself home. Um, it was so great. Oh, my God. Halfway through the night, I got almost ecstatic about it. Like, I felt like I'm so lucky. Because there were so many times in the past that I didn't really want to drink, but everybody else was drinking, so I would drink too. And easily one glass would become two and three and a bottle even. And so I would be hammered by the end of the night without even intending to drink. And so this felt like a like like I've found a solution, you know, to to not, hey, I just I don't drink is very easy is much easier to say than I'm not going to have this one drink because right now I'm not, you know, it's kind of what's happening with sugar now. Like I'll have it sometimes and then I end up having it more than I want to, but I don't think sugar is as damaging. Definitely not as mind altering as alcohol. Um, so yeah, there I was at the end of the night feeling so happy, woke up the next day, so happy, so like clean, so just sober, you know, it feels amazing. And now that's the energy I'm drawing on. You know, when I, some, there, there are still times sometimes when people order drinks and I'm thinking, 
you know, a glass of wine would sit really well right now. And then I think of all the other, where it would take me. And I just, I know I'm not ready for that. So, so I'm quite happy to say no. Yeah, I feel in my own experience, sometimes I'm uncomfortable more and more often, the longer I go, the less I am, because it is something that feels very normal now. You know, people know that I don't drink, they don't ask, so I don't have decisions to make. I don't have to explain why I'm drinking tonight, but I'm not going to drink tomorrow or vice versa. It just makes life more simple. And occasionally I I, I feel it, a tinge of longing when the cork is popped on the champagne, but it's like five minutes. And then the longer the night goes on, the happier I am instead of the blurrier and the stupider I am. And I feel like I'm trading five minutes of longing for 23 hours and 55 minutes of badass, kick-ass confidence and connection with myself. What I love is never having to wonder or second guess myself because there was alcohol involved. Like that to me is worth the price of admission, is having confidence all the time instead of second guessing myself. How has your confidence and sense of self been impacted by sobriety? So, so I just started dating somebody about a year ago and, um, like, I know my patterns by now. I know where I fall into, into bad habits and I usually stay away from that, but this seemed like, like it was going well. And then about six months into it, it, it kind of crashed and burned. And, and I was like left wondering like, what happened? You know, I identified all the red flags and then it kind of hit me. I should have understood this from the get-go, but he was like a raging alcoholic, like probably the worst of the alcoholics that I have ever met in my life. And it made me realize all of my life, I've been picking guys who were worse than me so that I could shine somehow. So even when I was around him, my drinking habit didn't seem bad. Like me drinking a bottle of wine wasn't a big deal because he would drink four you know, or me being up, you know, and partying up until 5am wasn't a big deal because he was partying for three days straight and I wasn't. And so I started realizing, oh my God, I'm doing this in all of these areas. And and, and I got a little terrified, honestly, you know, because, because I had gotten worse with the years. So I decided that, you know, I'm not going to be dating people like that anymore. And if I really am going to stick to this, I want to be better than them, then you know, I'm going to be completely sober and they're going to drink in a way that I think is tolerable. And do you find it now as you're dating people? Because I identify with that too, not with my spouse per se, but with friendships. I always surrounded myself with friends to where I was the responsible one. Is it an insecurity? Why do we fear that accountability in relationships? And do you find that challenging now when you're dating to date someone that you feel you have to measure up to instead of drop the bar for? So it's a great uh, question, several questions actually. So why do we do this? I think um, it's to keep this pretense of control you know, if we are quote unquote better or, um, or if we surround ourselves with people who are, who we consider to be less than, then that gives us a fake sense of security in the world, a fake sense of that we're controlling whatever's happening around us. And, you know, we, we gravitate towards that as human beings, you know, I'm not, I'm not like a super big dater, so I haven't been on that many dates. 
But I do find myself gravitating towards people who take care of themselves better. It's not, it's not fun anymore. You know, if I'm sitting somewhere and people get like too rowdy and too much and they start like, you know, slurring and I just, I'm just out of there. I'm not. And I, I, I don't, it doesn't mean anything. You know, I have, I have friends who drink a lot. Um, I just hang out with them when they're not drinking or until a certain point, And then I just leave. There's no judgment, like really at all. Um, it's just about figuring out what works better for me and what doesn't. But I can tell you for a fact that my business like has taken, like it, it's been like 180 from, from where I was back this summer. Um, you know, for me to have, I have eight clients currently for me to have eight clients that has maybe never, not maybe that has definitely never happened. I see how I approach things and, and, you know, when I'm investing energy into, and there's so much energy that wasn't even there before that was, you know, just that I would drink over, <laughs> if that makes sense. It does. Yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, sobriety has allowed me to level up on all levels. And when I hit that anxiety or fear, just leaning into it, you know, instead of numbing it mm -hmm. or avoiding it. So, mm -hmm. well, can you let people know, you know, how to find you, where to follow you, how to get in touch with you, maybe even what your program is like? What does it look like? Sure. So, if this resonated with any of our listeners, um, I don't have, I have like currently two spots for one-on-one -on -one coaching because I never want to take it. I, I don't, I don't want to go above 10, um, but I do have a group program for women. It's called Blossom. The next launch is in January. So we start on January 23rd and it's about becoming who you really were underneath, you know, before all the hurts. And it's specifically aimed at women who are struggling with dating patterns or maybe finding themselves in situations that they don't want to be in like, like, and, and they can't say no to them. So if, if somebody's interested in my course, you guys can get in touch with me. I have a website. It's talkwithanna.com and it's with one N uh, or I'm on Instagram as Anna Weisberger. And that's A-N-A-W-E-I-S-B-E-R-G-E-R. -E -E um, and I'm very active on Instagram. So you can find me there. So yeah, and I also give out a lot of free content. Um, so if you either come to my website or to Instagram, you can sign up for my newsletter or for any of the free uh, workshops that I'm hosting. Thank you so much for having me. This was really lovely. Um, I love hearing your take on things, you know, as a fellow, somebody who's been sober uh, for longer than I have and doing the coaching work that I do. It's yeah. been really, really great to connect with you. Thank you so much for reaching out. All right. Oh, and I recently saw that you had tasted some non-alcoholic wine. Yes. How was that? Okay. So I'm three years sober and I've tried so many different kinds and I fully support the companies out there that are giving this a go. You know, it's a whole new industry. So I am always game. I have not always been very impressed. The name on the bottle says joy us, not the word joyous, but joy us, joyous. And their website is Drink Joyous. And their red wine has the mouthfeel and the aroma. It's real wine. I mean, it's corked, it's aged. I haven't done a lot of research into how, how do you get the alcohol out of the wine, but it's real wine. And their sparkling rosé is just like Prosecco. And I love drinking it because I can 
participate without then slowly numbing and dumbing my senses, which I don't miss that. I don't miss that about alcohol losing myself or for me, I'm older than you. I'm 49. For me, alcohol really just started making me tired. So I would keep drinking because my choice was to either go to bed or have another glass so that I could keep going, but for sure, try it. I highly recommend it. Um, it's the closest thing I've seen out there on the market, especially a new non-drinker who's truly looking to replace like now I don't give a shit. I'll drink water. I'll drink sparkling, like whatever. I don't care. It also felt weird. I was at a party carrying around a glass of wine and I'm a non-drinker. And now I identify as a non-drinker. I would have told you, I don't identify as anything, but evidently I do because I felt the need to explain this isn't alcoholic wine. You know, it's just it's funny being human, you know, and all of our little thoughts and feelings. And it's just funny. So yeah, I'll definitely look it up. I'll see what it's like. But um, but beet juice also does it for me for now. Beet juice. Fun. I'll have to give that a try. Well, thank you, Anna. And listeners, you can find Anna's information in the show notes. So take care and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, please take the time to rate and review the show so that other people can find it. I really appreciate it. And check out the show notes for any resources I've mentioned, including links to follow me on Instagram and join my private Facebook group where I connect with my tribe every day. I love it in there and we have so much fun. And finally, if you're ready to redefine sobriety so that you can feel excited about quitting drinking, follow the link to my 10 days to spontaneous sobriety course, where I will help you eliminate, eradicate, obliterate, cancel your desire to drink because looking and feeling your best is addictive too. I'll see you soon.